0: Today we have uh, Sunday school, so children may be dismissed to go to their Sunday school class, if there's any here. Good afternoon. Uh, We're going to read from Genesis 16. Genesis 16, we're going to start from verse 1. I'll read the whole chapter. The title of our sermon this morning is A Tale of Two Women. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called, uh, called Beer Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the joy of being in your presence as we have heard and prayed and sang this morning. And we thank you because... You give us your word which feeds our souls. We truly are not to live by bread alone, but, but every, every word that comes out of your mouth. And so this afternoon, as we pray our hearts to listen to your word, I pray that you will come and speak to us by your Holy Spirit. We do not need to hear the words and wisdom of man, but we are seeking the direction and voice of your Holy Spirit speaking to us this afternoon so come help me and help my brothers and sisters this afternoon in Jesus name Amen a tale of two women so we've been traveling with Abraham um, since Genesis 11 um, we've seen him leave Ur, come to Canaan go down to Egypt come back to Canaan um, his travels have not, his journey in the book of Hebrews is called a journey of faith. He left by faith Ur, he entered the land by faith. But we have seen that his travels were not perfect. Um, when he left, left Ur, he left by faith, but he lingered long in Haran. Then when he came into Canaan, the famine made him leave Canaan and go to Egypt. And there he lied about his wife. And then he came back. And now we see him again in chapter 16, falling again. So it wasn't a perfect journey of faith by any means. Uh, There was peaks of faith and then valleys of doubt and disbelief and sin even. And uh, in chapter 15, we saw one of those peaks. God appeared to him and reaffirmed the promise to him and a covenant was established only to see him here in chapter 16 fall again and commit uh, just not wait on the lord Um, but really this chapter is not about abraham as much the holy spirit now in this chapter is kind of shining the light on his wife sarah now um, we had heard about sarah We were introduced to her in chapter 11. Uh, We heard and saw what happened to her in Egypt. But we never heard from her. And here in this chapter, we will hear from her. When the Holy Spirit introduced her to us in chapter 11, he he pointed one reality about her. It said in 1130, Now Sarai was barren, and she had no children. And when this chapter starts, to talk about her, the first thing that the Holy Spirit says and mentions about her is that it says in verse 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. This reality of Sarah's life would propel her one day to have a place among the heroes of our faith. She is mentioned among the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. The author of Hebrews says the following in verse 11, 11. He says, by faith Sarah herself received bow, power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. So Sarah would one day become a heroine of faith, but not here, not in chapter 16. That would happen 14 years later when she would be 90 years old. Here in chapter 11, we're not seeing a hero of the faith, but we're actually seeing the making of a hero. She is not yet ready to be enshrined into the hall of fame of the heroes of the faith. But God is making her and testing her and preparing her to become as such. And how is he doing that? He is doing that by testing her. By giving her the taste, test of faith. Saints, for them to become heroes of faith, need to be tested. Our faith will never grow unless we are tested. James tells us in, J- in James 1, 2, and 3, he says, "'Count it all joy, my brothers, "'when you meet trials of various kinds, "'for you know that the testing of your faith "'produces steadfastness.'" And so in, in this chapter, we're gonna see Sarah tested. And the outline for the, for the sermon will be verses one to three, her faith tested and she fails, Then we're going to look at verses 4 and 5. We're going to see two women who are virtually very different from the outside, but virtually the same on the inside. And then we're going to look at this uh, from 7 to the end, verse 16, God's grace extended. So in verses 1 to 3, we see it says Sarah Sarah Abram's wife was born, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. So how, how is God testing Sarah? There's two things that he's testing her with. The first thing is nature, and the second thing is time. First nature, she is facing an impossible reality. She's barren. She cannot have uh, children. And yet, there's another reality that she's dealing with. God promised them children. So on the one hand you know nature is saying there's no way you can have children and on the other hand God is saying you're gonna have children I think we can see her dilemma right she is really in an impossible situation she's trying to reconcile these two realities her barrenness and God's promise together and she does what probably most of us would do she starts to reason and look at things from a human perspective. She starts to logically try to figure out how this could come about. And what does she do? She resorts to what in those days was a cultural norm, giving the servant, her servant, to her husband to have a child. This, apparently, archeological discoveries have shown that this was indeed a cultural norm, which we may explain why Abraham wasn't surprised by it and kind of went by it, with it. And we also see it in Genesis 30s. When when Rachel couldn't have a child, she gave her servant to Jacob. uh, And then when Leah stopped having children, she gave her servant to, to Jacob to have more children. So this was, the cultural norm that was taking place in those days. And Sarah, as she's being challenged to kind of believe in God's promise while she sees nature standing in her way, she reasons a resource to kind of figure out what she is doing. So why is God putting her in this dilemma? I think God is putting her in this dilemma because he wants to teach her the lesson that nothing is impossible with God. We know that because when he comes back 14 years later and he tells Abraham the time has come, indeed a year from now you are, through Sarah, are gonna have a child, he says the following. He says, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? And then he goes and says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Almost as if to say, all this waiting has been to make a point to teach you and to teach Sarah that nothing is impossible for the Lord. As human beings, we tend to box God into what we perceive humanly possible. Atheists and liberal Christians, when they read the Bible, they look at it from the lens of the laws of nature and they conclude that the miracles in the Bible are impossible because humanly, naturally, it's impossible for these things to happen. And sometimes even us believers, while we may confess, that we believe that God could do the impossible really our behaviors say otherwise the Lord Jesus and this is a verse that I've been trying to commit to memory this year and it's really I've been convicted by it the Lord Jesus wanted his disciples to believe this truth that nothing is impossible with God in Mark ten twenty-seven. He said to them, with with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. When he bowed in, in the garden of Gethsemane to pray, he prayed this word. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Mark 14, 36. In Luke, when the angel appeared to Mary... In Luke 1.37, the angel says to Mary this, he says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Job, when he went through all the tests and trials that he went, when he got to chapter 42, he says the following to God. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. We need to learn to trust that the impossible is possible with God. And we need to ask ourselves, which Sarah are we? Are we the Sarah of chapter 16, who's trying to look at things from a human perspective and make things happen, taking things into her own hand? Or are we Sarah of chapter 18 who comes to finally believe that God is the God of miracles and the God of the impossible? I have to confess, I tend to be much more like Sarah of chapter 16. May God help us to believe that he is the God of the impossible. So that was, that was the first lesson that God is testing her, trying to drive her into, that I can do all things, and my purposes cannot be thwarted, as Job said. The second thing that he's testing her with is time. It says here in, this, in these three verses that it had been 10 years since they entered the land. They had received the promise that they're going to become a nation, and they're going to have children when they were still back in Ur. And now it's been 10 years, and they are still waiting on God to deliver on his promise. And something happens on the 10th year that her and Abraham snap. They just cannot take it anymore. Waiting on the Lord is is a test of faith. It's one of the most difficult lessons the children of God have to learn waiting on the Lord. Martha and Martha had to wait painfully four days, seeing their brother dying while the Lord is delaying his coming to help him. But they had to learn that lesson. They had to learn that Christ is not only able to heal, but Christ is also able to raise from the dead. In 1 Samuel, we're we're studying in 1 Samuel, one of the main lessons, one of the main differences between David and Saul is exactly this. In 1 Samuel 13, Saul would be gathering the people to go into, into, um, into war, and he's waiting on Samuel to come so they can make the offerings in Gilgal before he goes to war. And Samuel delays his coming for seven days. And Saul cannot wait any longer. So he takes matters into his own hand and makes an offering. And Samuel says to him, because you did this, because you didn't wait on the Lord, because you you acted out of turn, your kingdom will not stand. And God will choose a man after his own heart. That man would be David. What's the difference between him and Saul? David, on the other hand, would wait 15 years to, be, to, to, go, to rise up to the throne, refusing the multiple occasions when he could have killed Saul and become a king, insisting that he will wait on the Lord to put him on the throne. And he wrote in, in, in Psalm 41, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord he inclined to me and heard my cry. And then in in Psalm 27, he gives us this advice. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And so brother, sister, if you are today waiting on the Lord for something, I encourage you to take David's advice and to wait on the Lord. Take courage, and the promise is that he will incline to you and hear your cry. Waiting is not easy. I was laughing while I was preparing this point because I remember when the kids were young, there there was a small little uh, book of of a story of a a small, a pig and an elephant who are very good friends. And, and the pig comes to the elephant, and, and he, says to, uh, he says to him, he says, I have a surprise for you. And the elephant says, what is it? He says, you have to wait. And there, it's day, daytime, and they're waiting all day long. And all day, the elephant is moaning and groaning. And he keeps saying, waiting is not easy. Tell me what's the surprise. Waiting is not easy. And he, he says, wait, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait for the surprise. Until day night, day night comes, and the surprise is the beauty of the stars in the heaven. And then the elephant says, "Waiting, it was worth the wait." This surprise was worth the wait. Indeed, waiting is not easy, but when we wait for the Lord, his timing is perfect and it's good. So these two things um, were a lesson and a testing of Sarah's nature and timing to learn that the impossible is possible with God. Now, before we leave these verses, I want to speak about Abraham a little bit because it says that Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, I'm going to challenge Abraham here and say that Abraham was passive as a husband in this uh, situation. He did not question the advice of Sarai. Obviously, it wasn't a good advice. It was the wrong advice. But he goes... Without any challenge, he just listens to her, which which shows that even his faith was faltering. Now marriage is, the relationship of marriage is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and his relationship to the church. Now I want to read to you these verses from Ephesians 5 and notice how Christ, the husband of the church, acts with his church. He says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Do you see how Christ is act, acting towards the church? He is loving her actively. He's, acting, he's loving her. He's giving himself for her. He is sanctifying her, he is cleansing her, and he is presenting her to himself. All verbs, actions he is doing towards his church, so that he might present her to himself in splendor and without wrinkle. And um, that's how we ought to act as husbands. As husbands, our role in the relationship is to lead our wives in love. love is not passive love is demonstrated by taking action when we need to take action and to lead our wives and our households according to the will of God Adam's problem in Genesis 3 was he became passive and allowed Eve to take the lead and they fell and Abraham here is doing the same thing. He becomes passive in the relationship and follows the lead of Sarai. Now, I need to hasten quickly and say, I am not saying by any means that husbands should not listen to their wives, by any means. Abraham himself was instructed by God when when Sarah got her her Isaac and, and she wanted Hagar out of the picture. God said to Abraham in in chapter 21, whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. I am not arguing that we should just silence our wives and not seek their advice. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we both need to hear each other critically. There will be times when we were studying uh, Abraham's going down to Egypt, I made the argument on the other side. I argued, if you remember, that Sarah was passive in that situation. When he asked her to lie, she should have acted up and spoken up against that advice. So, because we are still in this fallen nature, husbands and wives, we should always seek each other's advice, but we should always also be critical and listen and discern whether this advice is coming by the Holy Spirit or is it motivated by our flesh? Abraham here, he should have been a little more careful. Before I leave these three verses, I will also want to touch on the idea of polygamy. Uh, this is the first time in the Old Testament that we see a saint practice polygamy. Abraham would be one, uh, the first of many saints who would practice polygamy in the Old Testament. And we always question when we see these stories is, what is happening here? Polygamy. Um, few points about polygamy quickly. I'm not. I'm not gonna. You know. You can read it, study it on your own. But just few points I want to make about it. Number one. The marriage relationship in creation was intended by God to be between one man and one woman. Number in 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 Genesis two. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, not wives and they will become one flesh. And the Lord Jesus reaffirmed this truth in Mark 10, 7. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become uh, one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Number two about polygamy. Polygamy in the Bible started by a sinful man called Lamech in Genesis 4. And therefore, it is a consequence of the fall. It was not the intention of God. A third thing about it is that God in the Old Testament tolerated and regulated polygamy, but he never endorsed it. It was, and this is my personal opinion, it was in the line of divorce, which the Lord Jesus said that Moses allowed to to divorce in the Old Testament, not because that's what God necessarily intended for marriage, but because of your hardness of heart and i think you can look at polygamy in the same light it it, it's not the intention of god but god in the old testament because revelation at that time was not yet full now we in the new testament have the benefit of full revelation in the face of the lord jesus christ christ restored marriage to where it should be and therefore we cannot practice polygamy anymore but in the old testament revelation was still progressive and god tolerated things them until the full revelation of the gospel came along. So that's the first three verses of this chapter. We're going to move on to the next uh, uh, three verses. Two different women and yet the same. It says in verses 4 to 6, and he went to Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she conceived, she looked to me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me, between you and me. And Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. When you look at these two women, they're very different women in many different ways. They are culturally different. One is from Ur, the other one is from Egypt. They're economically different. One is rich, the other one is poor. They're socially different. One is married, the other one is not married. Occupationally, they're different. Sarah is a mistress. Hagar is a servant, in appearance even, and this is not in the text, but I can tell you of somebody who grew up in Mesopotamia that I can almost guarantee you that their appearance was different. People in Mesopotamia tend to be light skinned. People in Egypt are a little darker skinned. Anybody in the Middle East, if you give them somebody from Iraq and one from Egypt and tell them, can you tell the difference? In a second, we can tell you who's the Egyptian. So the the look is very different, distinct, and their abilities are different. One is barren, the other one is fertile. So when we look at them from the outside the way we do when we look at each other in general, very different, but really, if you look deep into what's happening here, they are the same woman. They're the same women in their humanity. And I'll show you some few things that Kana they have in common. One, they're both chasing an idol. They both have idols in their hearts. Sarah, her idol, is having a child. She says to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing a child, going to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. She's so desperate for having a child, she is willing to push her husband into the embrace of another woman. Now remember, when they went to Egypt, Abraham also had an idol. He was so afraid of dying, he pushed her into the embrace of another man. Hagar, on the other hand, has another idol. Hagar is seeking status. She's a servant, and she wants to become a mistress, the wife of a rich man. We know from the way she reacts, as soon as she conceived and got married, pride entered into her heart, and she started dealing with contempt toward her mistress. So they're both chasing idols. They're also both manifest sinful behavior. Hagar pride and contempt toward her mistress, acting inappropriately, sinfully toward her mistress. Sarah reacts evil to evil and becomes harsh and abusive toward Hagar. So they're both the same in their behavior They both have rebellious spirits. Sarah's rebellious spirit is expressed by the blaming game that she manifests. Um, She says in um, Behold, and I think here, you know, I could be reading too much into this, but I think this is a veiled way of blaming God. She says, Behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Almost in a veiled way, blaming God for not having children. And then in a direct way, she blames Abraham for her own mistake. And Sarah, I say to Abraham, May the wrong done me be on you. (laughs) It's not my, my mistake, it's your mistake. So... That's a rebellious spirit when we start blaming others for our sins and missteps. And how is Hagar expressing a rebellious spirit? She refuses to take the abuse. And what does she decide to do? She rebels and runs away. So they both have this rebellious spirit in them. They also both saw in this arrangement a means to achieving their goals Sarah she, um, she's gonna have a child that's what she wants and Hagar she's gonna gain status she's gonna become the wife of this great man Abraham so they both so benefit in this arrangement and lastly they were both sorely d- disappointed by the results of this uh, arrangement. Sarah, in the immediate aftermath, she receives shaming and contempt from a servant girl instead of joy. But even more, she comes to realize that this child could never give her the sense of motherhood that she was looking for. She thought that she would become a mother of this child and she would get the fulfillment that she was seeking. But she really came to realize that that is not going to happen. How do I know that? If you look in chapter 21, verse 10, When um, God gives her Isaac, and she wants Hagar out of there, notice what she says in 2110. She says, so she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son. Wait a second. I thought in 16... You say that I will gain children by her. I thought this child was supposed to be yours. Now all of a sudden, he's her son, and he deserves to be cast away. Why? Because she came to realize that this arrangement did not give her what she was looking for. It's not her son. It is Hagar's son, and he would always be Hagar's son. So she is sorely disappointed by this arrangement that was done. Hagar also sorely disappointed. What was Hagar seeking? Hagar was seeking status. And what happens to her? Instead of gaining status, she is immediately rejected and dispensed by on behalf of Abraham. As soon as Sarah complains about her, she's in your power, do to her whatever you want. So she is disowned by who is now in that time and in that culture, technically her husband so she doesn't gain the status that she was looking for instead she is kicked out and abused in that way brothers and sisters we are all Hagar and Sarah we all look different We all come from different backgrounds and different cultures. We all speak different languages. Some of us are rich, some of us are poor. Some of us are single, some of us are married. But if we really look deep inside, we are all the same in our fallen human nature. We all have idols that we love and chase. We all act sinfully in the sight of God. We all suffer from the sin of pride. We all act with contempt toward one another. We all act harshly toward one another. We all have rebellious spirits in us. We rebel against God and against authority. And we all, if we are honest with ourselves, have been disappointed with idols that we chased. And when we got them, we realized that they do not give us what we thought they would give us. We all experienced what Solomon, the great king, experienced. He seeked Riches and wisdom and pleasure, and he came to the conclusion. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? That's what sin offers. When we chase sin, that's what it gives us. That's what our human nature, our fallen human nature, if we put our trust in it, that's where it will take us. In 2 Timothy 3.6, Paul speaks about a kind of woman that is interesting. He speaks about weak women. He says, weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. I think that's an accurate description here of Hagar and Sarai. Weak women burdened with sin, led astray by various passions. Lastly, the grace of God extended. In verses 7 to 16, I don't want to read all those chapters for time purposes, but basically, Hagar runs away. She's in the desert, most likely headed back towards Egypt. And the angel of the Lord appears to her and talks to her. Now, the word angel of the Lord, this phrase, is the fir- this is the first time it appears in, in the Bible, and it would appear multiple times in the book of Genesis. Some commentators think that this is an appearance of Christ. Others think that this is a theophany, God appearing in the form of an angel. Regardless of whether it's God or Christ, uh, what is clear here is that God is coming to communicate with Hagar. And Hagar, in this incident, as she encounters God, She learns three things about him. The first thing she learns about him is that God sees. She says in verse 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. What a beautiful word, who looks after me. The second thing she learns about God is that God is a living God. The well which she names, she names it Beer Lahai. Lahai means the living one, Roy who sees. And the last thing that she learns about God is that God hears. The name Ishmael means God hears. Literally it means God hears. So Sarah uh, Hagar comes to realize that God hears, God sees, and God, the God of Abraham, is a living God. I always found this this incidence of God coming to Hagar here in the desert very touching. I mean, think about it. Here's this lowly poor servant girl. Pregnant, alone, used and abused by her mistress, rejected by her husband, worthless in that society. Really, Hagar in that society was, I mean, she, she counted for nothing. She was a servant girl that Abraham's reaction to her proves that they didn't think much high or highly of her at all. She's worthless. But she was not worthless in the eyes of God. God who rules the universe and controls the universe he comes down and descends to see and speak to this servant girl. That's amazing. That's It speaks volumes of our God. I have seen Him who looks after me. When everyone else abandoned her, God was looking after her. Wow. I mean, so, brother, there's a lesson here. In moments when you and I feel alone, or weak, or rejected, and feel that no one cares about us. Take heart. Take heart in the God of Abraham who sees you, and who hears you, and who cares about you. In Matthew, our Lord said, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. God cares. In the book of Acts, Paul says he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God cares. Praise God. Praise God because he cares about us. We may not feel highly of ourselves and others may not feel or think highly of us. But God thinks much of us. We are his creation. So what does he do? He restores her. He restores her doing two things. Number one, he confronts her sin. Notice what he says in verse 8. He says, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? He confronts her by reminding her of her identity. It's as if he says, if you are Sarai's servant, that's your identity, you are Sarai's servant. If you are Sarai's servant, that's why he says Sarai's servant. If you are her servant, shouldn't you be busy serving your mistress? So why are you here? That's basically what he's asking her. Why are you here? Of course, he knows where she's coming from and where she's going. That's not the point. But he knows and she knows why she's here. She has acted with pride in a sinful manner toward her mistress, and that consequently brought the wrath of her mistress upon her, and she ends up in the desert. She is reaping the fruits of her sinful behavior, and he confronts her with that. And then he orders her to repent. In verse 9 he says, return to your mistress and submit to her. So confronting her with her sin and ordering her and commanding her to repent of that sin by going back to where she belongs, because that is your identity. The second thing he does for her is that he gives her a promise of a blessing. He would multiply her seed. He will give her a son, and she will call his name Ishmael. And he would become a father of 12 princes. It's believed that he was the father of many tribes who lived in the Arabian Peninsula. And this son would be a little bit of a problem. He will be a wild donkey. And his hand will be against his kinsmen. That almost started very quickly when he was, when Ishmael became, was a teenager and Isaac was born. It says in uh, 21.9, it says, now Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian whom she had born to Abraham mocking. He was mocking Isaac. In the New King James, it uses the word scoffing. The ESV says he was laughing. So he wasn't, he was already, beca- you know, developing that antagonistic relationship with his brother. And so as Christians, again, I'll draw the lesson. We can all be like Hagar. We can have have, have you ever found yourself caught running away from your master because of a sin you committed? I think we've all found ourselves in a moment where as if the angel of the Lord coming to us and say, so and so, servant of Christ, where are you coming from and where are you going? And we would know what we have done. We would know where we have come from and where this road is taking us, right? So in many ways, we are like, uh, when we rebel against Christ, we are like Hagar rebelling against her mistress, and then we run away from God, and we need him to come and draw us back. But Hagar here also reminds us of mankind's problem. Mankind, are a human kind with God. We were created to be in fellowship with God, serving and glorifying him. That's our identity. But like Hagar, that wasn't enough for us. We wanted to be like God. Consequently, we brought his wrath against us. Now, Sarai didn't go pursuing Hagar. But God, our creator, did pursue us. He came pursuing us because he cares about us. And he didn't send us an angel of the Lord, but he sent us his only beloved and begotten son. His son emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, Hagar was promised a son, and we were promised a son. The angel of the Lord told Mary, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the son of the Most High. Hagar's son would stand against his brothers. He would become an enemy of his brothers. But the son of God would not be our enemy. The son of God would lay his life for his brothers. Being found in the human form, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. As the angel of the Lord commanded Hagar, though, to repent and return to her mistress, Christ today does the same thing. In the book of Mark, chapter 1, he says when he started his ministry, it says, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Brother and sister, if you are living today in sin, if sin has brought you out to the desert, I invite you today to listen to the voice of Christ and believe and repent of your sin. And if you are feeling today alone, rejected, afraid, sorrowful, trust that the same God who looked after Hagar the lonely and rejected servant girl. He is looking after you. He will not forsake you. He will not abandon you. He will not forget you. He sees you. He hears your prayers. He is living, and he is the God of the impossible in your life. Come to him today. Rest in him. May God help us to always trust that he who is with us is greater than he who is against us. To him be all the glory. Amen. Let's pray. We're going to ask Brother Bob to rise up and pray for us.